you have a Bible, uh, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you don't have one, it's cool. We're going to put the verses up on the screen. And, you know, the, that song that we just sang, I mean, I'm, I'm a grown adult, and I've sung that song a lot because I grew up in church and things like that. And I was just listening through some different uh, songs and things and came across a, a church that did that song just kind of just like we did it. And uh, just slower. And for some reason, it being slower, I just listened to some of the words differently. And uh, just how powerful it is and the things that we declare this time of year. And, and really, I mean, all year long, we're singing some of the same ideas. But there's a uniqueness about this time of year. And, um, you know, I referenced earlier the Advent season. And uh, this has been an emphasis for us here at The Ring for the last couple of years. And just trying to really figure out what that's about. Uh, for most of my life, I thought that Advent was just a more spiritual way of saying Christmas, you know. And, and in a lot of ways, it, it is uh, not more spiritual, but it is another way of saying the Christmas season to a degree. Um, but then, you know, when it comes to how Christians historically, like, like back to the beginnings of the church and stuff, have celebrated Advent together, there's more to it than just like kind of ramping up to like Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. There was something different about it. And uh, historically, Advent was a time that was a little bit darker. You know, it's a, a little bit different than, um, I don't know, than, than maybe it seemed to me for a long time growing up. That the church historically saw it fit to spend a season of time identifying with a period of, of time in like the Bible, like the biblical story where they were waiting for the Messiah to come. They were waiting for what we just sang about to happen. That there were hundreds of years where, where it didn't seem like God was speaking to them, that he had made these promises about a Messiah that was going to come and save everyone uh, from their sins and deliver, uh, deliver everyone from bondage. And they were just holding on to this promise for a long time. And generations would pass and the Messiah hadn't come, hadn't come, hadn't come. And so the church wants to, like decided, the church leaders like hundreds of years ago decided we need to spend some time uh, identifying with that longing and that waiting. But it's not just, not just to do that, because the reality is we are longing and we're waiting also. They were waiting for the, the advent or the arrival of the Messiah the first time. We are waiting for the arrival of the Messiah the second time. And so we're kind of like them, except we know, we know, we know, we know who he is and we're, uh, all that kind of stuff. We have a little bit more information than maybe they did for hundreds of years just kind of waiting. You know, all they knew is be born of a virgin in Bethlehem and he was going to be awesome. You know, that's kind of like all they, all they really knew. That's all they had to work with. Now we know that he was born of a virgin in Bethlehem and that his name is Jesus and that he is as awesome as they said he would be. But now he has gone, uh, you know, he lived and he died and he was buried and the power of God raised him from the dead. And then he ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit now comes and, and lives with us and empowers us. 
And he has said that he is coming again to end all this once and for all. You know? So he's brought healing, he's brought deliverance, he's brought freedom from sin. And now we are living, waiting for him to come back and make everything new and everything as it should be once and for all. So Advent is about us identifying with the Old Testament faithful who waited for the Messiah to come and how that really, it was kind of frustrating, it was kind of tense. Just like it is now, we're waiting for him to come back. And so we watch the news, you know, and we, we see our world just continuing to crumble and there's just so much brokenness and pain that's there. And we have these, these incredible kids sing these songs and then I get up here and talk about their homeless kids in India and you're like, I don't want to hear that, you know. I don't want to hear that. I just want to, I don't, I don't want to, to have those things put in front of me, but then you kind of do want them put in front of you. Because we don't want to live in ignorance. We want to know the brokenness that's out there. We want to know the hope that Jesus brings and only Jesus brings and so Advent like, pushes those things into the front of our minds. Say, like, look at the goodness of Jesus the Messiah, who, was, who left heaven, came to earth, was born a baby, lived, grew up, experienced all the things that we experienced, died as the only sacrifice for our sins because he was sinless and perfect, invites all of us into that life. We celebrate that. Then we also say, you know what, but he's gone and he's preparing something for us, and he's coming back for us. And so in the meantime, we're waiting. So that angst of the Old Testament and the angst of right now are the same. And so we spend the, we spend the, the four Sundays before Christmas Day and up to Christmas Eve in that tension. And this, this Advent for us, if you, if you aren't a, part of, a regular part of this congregation, it's been a little bit heavier than normal. You know, uh, We talked about some, some difficult things, some darker things. But I, I think there's a beauty in that. Like, I think that that's very honoring to our God because we're really trying to see the, the beauty of his first arrival and anticipate the hope of his second arrival and live accordingly. So what in the world does all that have to do with the Lord's Supper, right? I mean, isn't that Easter? Isn't that what you do? You know, did I get my calendar wrong? You know, like in that, how do those things fit together? Um, look in at 1 Corinthians 11. It's something that Jesus said, and I'm just, I just kind of want to set up this time together. Um, in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, Paul's account of the Lord's Supper says this it's in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we see a couple of things in the, in the passage there. One, um, in, uh, in verse 25, he says that the cup is the new covenant. That there's this new promise that he is that Jesus has brought to his people that the old testament operated under one set of promises and Jesus has come to fulfill those promises and make greater promises to his people that he was the hope of Israel he was the comforter of Israel he was the one that was promised he is the prince of peace he's the wonderful counselor he's the mighty god he's the everlasting father he is all those things and he has made a new set of promises so this new agreement 
was like when he's holding that cup and he's saying, see, this was a part of a meal, of a Passover meal, where everything was symbolic. Everything represents something. Um, And he is holding the cup, which represented one thing before, and he basically is saying, okay, I'm going to redefine what this cup is meaning now. So to a group of people who are all Jewish and grew up taking the Passover meal and thinking that cup represents this, Jesus is saying, okay, now it's going to represent this from here on out. So this is the new covenant. These are the new promises. This is the, the new agreement between God and his people. And Jesus himself is the fulfillment of that covenant. And so it's a really, really big statement. Um, in the Bible, when, when the, the angels come and they tell the shepherds, uh, you know, like the thing that we were singing about a minute ago, and they say, um, in Bethlehem there's born a Savior today. And there's this, this line, it says, uh, we bring you good, good news of great joy for all the people. Good news of great joy for all the people. That when Jesus is holding the cup and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood, he's saying, this is the good news of great joy for all the people. No matter what you look like or where you're from or what your accent is or uh, what color your skin is, or any of the kind of other things that d- tend to divide our world. He's saying, good news of great joy for all the people. This is the new covenant. And so we have uh, this meal that's here, and our kids were surrounding the new agreement between God and man. So that's, that's significant. Um, and then he says, uh, he, you know, we, we see the bread and we see the wine. The bread, the bread represents the body of Christ. He says, this is my body. And the body, the bread is not like it's not kept whole. We don't like hand you a loaf of French bread. You know, we hand you a part of the bread. As a part of the Passover meal, they would take the the piece of matzah and they would break it, and that was symbolic. And so he would have done the same thing of brokenness. He said, "Yeah, but this is my body." And in breaking that, he's foreshadowing the brokenness of his own physical body that would happen through the crucifixion. This body that was broken was a body that had never sinned. It was completely pure and perfect. The Bible tells us that he experienced everything that we experience, yet he'd never sinned in any sort of situation. And so he was this perfect sacrifice. And so when we take the Lord's Supper, we're seeing the the bread, and we see the brokenness of the bread, and it's supposed to trigger something with us. That the sinless one took on our sins and was broken and ripped to pieces for us. So we see the bread, he has the cup, which is his blood, and um, that blood that was poured out, the way that God set everything up, blood is what brought forgiveness, and so his blood was poured out. And so in a few minutes when we take the Lord's Supper, we're going we're to get in these lines, we're going to come to the front, and our elders are going to be here serving, and uh, one elder will be there, and he'll have a bowl, and he'll have the bread in it, and he'll say, the body of Christ broken for you, because the body of Christ is broken for you. The other one will have the trays of, of the juice, and he'll say, the blood of Christ poured out for you. So we see that here in the meal. And so there's a lot of symbolism going on, but Jesus is redefining this meal. And the thing about it is, when he says, when he says these things, both times he says, uh, do this in remembrance of me. That this is about remembering some things. And it probably makes sense when you're closer to Easter because you're remembering the... The crucifixion, you know, you're remembering Good Friday or, you know, Terrible Friday is what it should be called. Terrible Friday, and I'm not sure what to do with Saturday. And then Resurrection Sunday, you know, where that's, that like makes 
It makes everything, and there's a crawfish boil in there somewhere for us. And there's, like, we know what to do with that, but, like, at Christmas time, you're like, what are we, what are we remembering? Aren't we remembering that he was born? You know, what's, what's that have to do with this? Well, we're remembering his life, and we're remembering his death and his burial and his resurrection. But let me, let me just kind of add an element to it that maybe, maybe is really important for us to keep in mind. We're remembering that Jesus is not here, and he's supposed to be here. He's supposed to be a part of this meal. In Matthew 26, you don't need to turn to it. In that account of the, of the Last Supper with his apostles, he tells them, he says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. See, Jesus is supposed to be here for this, but he's not. And so we take communion, and a part of that is we're, we're remembering his life and his death and his burial and his resurrection and his ascension, that he's out of here, and that we are left on this earth. Now he's given us his spirit that lives inside of, of every Christian, and, and so he's with us. It's not that he's not with us, but he's not bodily with us, and he's supposed to be, to the degree that he's abstaining from, from the vine until we're on the new earth with him. He's like, I, basically, he's saying, I don't want to do this without y'all, so I'm not. But he says, but I want you to do it without me, because I want you to feel my absence. And that, to me, that's just, that's so heavy, you know. It's very heavy, and it's very different, I think, for me. And then Paul says in that last verse, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That until that second advent, you keep taking this meal and you proclaim that he is not here and that you miss him. <laughs> and he's supposed to be here and it's not supposed to be this way. It's not supposed to be like this. We're not supposed to take this meal without him because this is not the final say. The final say will come when we are, he is with us and he's like, all right, let's do this for real now. But he wants us to regularly do this so that we feel that absence. And we all know what it's like to miss people. We've all lost people that were close to us. This date last year, it was a Saturday, was probably one of the one of the just the worst days for me in ministry. Uh, and some of you are uh, affected by this as well. And some of you are, have not been affected by this, but you're about to be. Um, I uh, it was a Saturday. We had the Mason party that that day, and then I was getting on a plane. To go with a group of people to New York City for this uh, mission trip we would do every year to go work at a homeless mission there. And so, um, so I was going, Meg's, Meg's going, Sarah Farley, LSU students, we were headed to do that thing as a part of a long-standing deal. And that morning I had a phone call um, from, uh, from, you guys know Josh Brumley, and uh, he's one of our college students, one of our covenant members. His mom calls me early, super early in the morning. She's freaking out. She says, I, um, she says uh, Randy and Ari were killed in a car accident. So Ari is uh, Josh's soon-to-be fiancé. Randy is her father. Um, and sh- uh, she's a student at ULL. He had driven from Loosedale, Mississippi to go pick her up uh, after finals to drive her home because she was sick. And a uh, drunk driver plowed through. Uh, there was a back up on the interstate. Drunk driver and an 18-wheeler came in. And I like, killed a bunch of people. And 
So she calls. She says, Randy and Ari were killed. Josh doesn't know yet. I don't want him to find out the wrong way, um, and I don't know what to do. And so, um, you know, those are... Uh, those of you, anyone here think about going into ministry? Those are the stuff they don't prepare you for in seminary, you know. Uh, it's just, but, it, but it's the reality, and it's what you sign up for. And I was like, okay, let's do this. And so, um, so I, I said, okay, um, do you know where he is? She said, he's going to work really early this morning. I said, all right, let's meet there. And uh, so we get there. She gets there ahead of me. She tells him. I come up a, like a minute or two later. And thus begins just a really terrible year. Um, for for him, for the Wager family. So Randy was a youth minister, so a really big youth group. Um, he's got other kids. He has a wife. Um, just just bad. Just bad. Everything about it is bad. Every, there is there, everything's just bad. Okay. And um, so Josh and Ari had met on a mission trip to South Africa uh, two summers ago. And I was on that trip, and several of us in this room were on that trip. So we met them when Josh met them, and then they fell in love. And, you know, it's just this, this whole, like, really, really cool story. They were planning on getting married to go be missionaries, right? So, so that was last year, okay? And I tell you all that to kind of set up this part of the story. Uh, this past summer, that same trip to South Africa happened again, and a bunch of us got to go on it. And Randy uh, promised the next daughter down that he would take her on the next trip that he could to South Africa. And uh, so there's Ari, and then the next one's name is Bree. And so Bree was going on this trip, and she said it was the last thing that her dad promised her that he would do. And so um, one thing led to another, and she got to go on this trip with some people from her church. And so Josh got to go, and I got to go, and Meg got to go, and Sarah got to go, and uh, Casey got to go. And a couple of us that, that were on the first trip got to go on the second trip. And so you're going on this trip, and here's where we all met, the, the, we, we all met Randy and Ari. Josh met Ari and fell in love with her. And so this place in South Africa is incredibly uh, meaningful to all of us, especially to Josh and especially to Bree. She just saw the pictures and heard the stories, and she knew this was a very important place. So we get there on the trip, and uh, Bree has these, uh, these shoes in her backpack, these, like, dirty, just gross Toms. Have you ever seen anybody that's worn Toms for, like, more than a week? They're just gross, you know? <laughs> and so she's got these Toms in her backpack, and uh, I just kind of noticed them or whatever, and over the course of the trip, I found out that she had these shoes that were Ari's shoes that she wore all the time. And so she wanted to bring them to South Africa because that summer Ari was supposed to work uh, at a place called Door of Hope. I've talked about Door of Hope. It's, a, it's a, an orphanage where people just drop off babies in this box in the door of the, of the place. It's, yeah. And so she was supposed to intern there for several weeks, and then our team was going to come in and Ari was going to be there. Uh, that was the plan. And so Bree was like, you know, Ari was supposed to be here on this trip, and she's not. So I, want to bring, I wanted to bring her shoes here. And so she went and she put those shoes in places that she knew were meaningful to Ari, in Soweto and in Johannesburg, and these places. And she would take pictures of these empty shoes in significant places where her sister was supposed to be and planned to be. And we all were like, yeah, it, she should be here, you know. 
And she would take the pictures and she would put them back in her backpack, just steady as a rock. And then we got to go to Door of Hope, where Ari had never actually been, but she was supposed to work there. So we got to go into the orphanage, and uh, it was the only time I got to see it happen where Ari, like, positioned the shoes in a real, you know, Instagram-y, artsy kind of way, you know, and, like, took the, took the pictures. And I remember sitting there, I'm looking at these empty shoes, and, I, and I, it just kind of came over me. I was like, Ari's supposed to be here. Because our world is broken, she's not here, but she's supposed to be here. And it was, I just, I felt her absence in a place I had never been and she had never been. And there's these empty shoes there. And it just got, it just got heavy. Like she's supposed to, she's supposed to be here and she's not. Bree took the picture and picked him back up, put it in her backpack. And I remember just thinking like, how is she so strong, you know? I think she's like a sophomore, junior in high school. I'm like, how is she so strong? How is she able to just put, how is she able to do that? We're all losing it over here, you know? And she's just a rock. And it's because she was more dialed into this reality than I was. That even though Ari was not there, she's supposed to be there and she's not there. That Ari is fine. That Ari is with Jesus and there's, that's better. And that she will fill those shoes on the new earth. And maybe on the new earth, maybe when, God, when he comes and makes all this new again, maybe she will get to be there. She held, Brie was able to hold this tension together really well with Ari. That even though she shouldn't be here, she needed to feel that absence. But also there was hope because of Jesus. Hope that you don't find anywhere else in the world. And I was thinking about that story and I was like, you know what? That's what the Lord's Supper is supposed to do for us. If it's helpful to you to think about that story or think about Johnny B, you know, like uh, he, his birthday was yesterday and just, you're just missing him. Maybe parents or grandparents or, or friends or wh- wh- whoever it may be that you have lost. And you know how when the family gets together, there's just that awkwardness and you're like, well, they're supposed to be here. We're supposed to feel that. That we weren't made to die, we were made to live. That sin has brought death into the world and loss into the world. And sin brought the death of our Savior into the world. He wants us to take this meal over and over again as kind of a pair of empty shoes, as kind of like an empty chair, so that we know, you know what, he's supposed to be here for this, but he's not. However, there will come a day where where those shoes will be filled, where that chair will be filled, where our Savior will take this meal with us. And so as we approach the table, it's supposed to have that tension of, man, this just isn't right. But it's going to be right. Isn't that beautiful? How brilliant is Jesus? He's like, you know what? They're, you're probably going to forget this. So how about you just do this a lot? And every time you do it, you do this in remembrance of me. And you proclaim my death until I return. How about every time you do this, you let me reinstill in you the weight of the sin of the world and the brokenness that it's brought. And yet the hope and the victory that Jesus has brought. We're supposed to hold both of those together. So the table is, I mean, it's deep. It's really, really deep. It should make us a little sad, but it should make us more hopeful than sad. And maybe that's why the Lord's Supper, you just never really know how to feel about it. Maybe that's on purpose. You have no doubt how to feel about baptism. That's easy. That's just all victory, all good. But Lord's Supper is kind of, 
And that's kind of Advent, too. It's tension. And so what better way to celebrate Advent together than by taking this meal? So maybe that's given us some things to think about. You know, Jesus teaches us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. This meal kind of has both of those things together. That right now on earth, it's not as it should be. He should be here with us. And he says, no, you step to the table. You, you take the body. You take the blood. You do this as a family. And you acknowledge my absence, but also the hope because I will be with you again. There was a, a, a prayer of the early church that was just simply, come Lord Jesus. Maranatha is the, is, the, is the the Aramaic phrase for that. And our community groups talked about that this week a little bit. This idea of, yeah, just come on, just come on. Well, that's what this is. It's an expression of that prayer. So here's how this is going to work. You may, I, I think it's amazing to, uh, I keep coming back to the kids being up here, but also that we, you do this as a family Sometimes we do it individually, but tonight we're going to take it like as a big group. And so as a church family, as some of you are related, like blood families, you know, are here, that maybe there aren't too many times when the whole family is, or parts, or a bigger part of the family is together to do this. I think it's, it's amazing. So let me tell you how this is going to work logistically. Um, we're going to have two elders at the front of, of each aisle, and uh, they'll have, they'll have the, the bread and the juice that's there. And um, we're not in a big hurry, so we're just gonna we're just gonna line up, and you'll step up there, and you'll take the bread, and you'll take the juice, and you'll take it back to your seat, and you'll wait for everyone, and we'll take this together. Um, and just so you know, whenever you reach for the bread, they're gonna say something to you. Just don't be freaked out. <laughs> they're gonna say the body of Christ broken for you, and they say the blood of Christ poured out for you. Um, and the thing is, they're gonna say that. I mean. 200 times tonight. And for that to be spoken, and uh, Cody's going to come, and Cody, he's going to, we'll have some songs going, but it won't be like stand and like sing kind of time. It'll just kind of be there, and if you want to sing along, cool, and if you want to pray, cool. And if you're invited to be a part of this meal, Jesus invites us to the table. If you believe that he is the Messiah, if you believe that he is the Savior of the world, he says, hey, you, you need what's at this table, and if you know that you need it, then you come on. Don't worry about if you're a member here or any of that kind of stuff. There are churches that have a lot of bunch, bunch of rules about that. Um, that's for another day. So if you're here and you believe that Jesus is the Jesus of the Bible, that he's the Savior of the world, and that he died for our sins, then you come on. And if you don't want to take it, that's fine. All right. So it's going to kind of be a little chaotic here in a second. It'll be all cool. No worries. So if you don't want to come up, no pressure at all, but you are definitely invited by our Savior. Okay? So... Um, the Bible tells us to give some self-examination before you approach, you know, to really think through these things and not do so thought, thoughtlessly. And so um, I would just like for you, as the elders are going to come in just a second and Cody will come, if you would just take, just take a minute and just get, get your mind right, you know. And uh, we'll open it up here in a second and we'll just come through. Everybody will take it and we'll take the meal and then we will uh, bless one another as we go. All right. So you just spend the next few moments as our elders come and as Cody comes, just preparing yourself, and I'll walk us through it here in just a second, okay? So you go ahead and pray right where you are. Lord God, we are uh, very grateful for all the ways that you 
provide for us and care for us. And we acknowledge the fact that you are supposed to be here for this meal with your family. That you have redefined uh, what... You've redefined what the bread means and what the juice means. You have... uh, You've made a new set of promises that we are can be a part of if we just take you up on your offer. You know, it's that simple. You just invite us to come and acknowledge that we need what you have for us. And so, as we approach the table, we do so uh, recognizing that while you are not here and you're supposed to be here, um, you have called us to remember, and we want to do that. In, the, in all the ways that you intend. So help us to feel the weight of your absence. Help us to miss you. Um, but also to know that uh, even though you're not here now, you will be one day with us. And so as we approach, may you be glorified in all the ways that you envision for this meal from your people. And we pray this in your name.